Hello, and welcome to another episode of Intelligence Your Life, the podcast. I'm Gib Gerard. This week on our show, our guest is none other than Frank Turek. He's the author of the new book, Hollywood Heroes. Uh, we're going to talk all about why. What is it intrinsically about superhero stories from Captain America to Luke Skywalker to Lord of the Rings to Harry Potter? What is it about those stories that we that are intrinsically appealing to us? So we're going to break that down, uh, and the reasons are, are, are interesting. So stay with us for that. Um, yeah, folks, without further ado, here is my interview with Frank Turek. Frank Turek, uh, friend of the show. We've had you on before. Author of the new book, Hollywood Heroes. Thank you so much for being on the show with us today. We really appreciate it. Gib, great being with you. Okay, so in this book, uh, you know, you've written a bunch of books about uh, apologetics, and you, you do a lot of stuff with, with apologetics. Uh, but in this book, you are really outlining how our superhero, our superhero obsession is actually goes back to our, uh, our need for, uh, uh, the stories that we may, may or may not have grown up with in the Bible, but the, these stories are in, in, inextricably written in our hearts, right? They are. In fact, that's what we wanted to do, Gib. And I wrote this book with my son who actually is now, uh, in the military, he's been in the military for about, well, gee, almost 12 years now. Uh, and uh, he's a seminary grad as I am. And one day we got talking about so many of these superhero movie genres, uh, these franchises like Captain America, Iron Man, right, right. Star Wars, you know, Wonder Woman, Batman, these kind of things. And how many of the stories that resonate with us from these movies are actually just remakes to a certain extent sure. of the greatest story ever told. Sure. That, you know, God comes to Earth and sacrifices himself to save us. And that's what these superhero movies are about. So we put this book together, Hollywood Heroes, How Your Favorite Movies Reveal God. And we argue in the book, Gib, that even screenwriters who may not be Christians, they may, they may have nothing to do with Christianity, they may right. not even like Christianity, but they still can't help putting in Christian themes into their movies because they resonate. They, it's, it's what we really all want. We really want to, we, we all want to be taken from this world of pain and suffering to a place where there is no pain and suffering, and that's what Christianity promises. F fair enough, fair enough. Uh, do you think that there, my question is, is it a chicken or egg situation? Like, you know, we you say they can't help but put these Christian themes in there, but what? But my argument would be that these are themes that we that we can't help but be attracted to, and that you know the, the themes are parallel. Yeah. Oh, I think I think you're right. We can't help be attracted to to these themes because we live in reality, and mm -hmm. in reality, that's what we want. It was C.S. Lewis who famously said this, and I'm paraphrasing. He said. If I have a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And right. we all have these things that occur in our lives, little glimpses of heaven, C.S. Lewis would call them, that make us yearn for another world. There are little glimpses. We may see sure. a beautiful scene and we're just taken somewhere else. We may have an intimate relationship with someone and we're taken to somewhere else. Uh, we may see our kids do something that just is is transcendent to us, and it takes us somewhere else. But it's for a split second, and we go, ah, I just got a whiff. Right. There's just an aroma of transcendence to this experience. Sure. What is that thing? Well, that thing is really our longing for heaven, our longing for a place where there is no pain, suffering, or death. Now, you bring up C.S. Lewis, uh, and C.S. Lewis famously wrote a book, or a series, 
that mimics exactly what you're talking about, but explicitly. Right? So, you know, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, of course, talking about the Chronicles of Narnia. Yeah. And, um, you know, that that's it, it. It translates as a children's story. It's, you know, it, it's uh, you, everybody. Everybody has some contact for the most part in the Western world. Somebody you at some point you've come into contact with some element of the Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, the obviously the films, uh, etc. But uh, are you are you saying that e even when it's not explicit, the way that C.S. Lewis is doing it, uh, that that the themes again speak to us in the way that you're describing? Yeah, and in different movies, some of the themes are explicit. Like for example, I know it's going to sound weird because a lot of Christians didn't like Harry Potter. Sure, but I Harry love Harry Potter. Potter. Harry Potter has more in common with the character or the historical figure Jesus of Nazareth than virtually anybody else in modern fiction. 100%. And, and, and J.K. Rowling actually wanted it to be that way. In fact, she says the entire series can be summarized by two Bible verses she put in the books and the movies. The first is, the last enemy to be destroyed is death from 1 Corinthians 15. Mm. And the other is, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. That's from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting, Gib, she, if, if, in, in the book Hollywood Heroes, we point out that Harry Potter has a life that parallels Jesus in four distinct ways. Number one, he's prophesied to be the savior of his world before he's born. 100%. Secondly, he has to live a moral life in order to be that savior. Thirdly, he sacrifices himself in order to ultimately defeat the Satan figure Voldemort. Mm -hmm. And then... Fourthly, he rises from the dead and his followers have to put their faith in him in order to ultimately defeat Voldemort. Now, does that sound familiar? It, it does. <laughs> Look, I have, I've always thought that the, that the people that were anti-Harry Potter really truly did not understand exactly the themes that you're talking about, which are, which are exactly what you're saying. So I've, um, I mean, you know, I'm a, I'm a fan of, of the work and, and I think it speaks to us again, going back to your original thesis, which is that this stuff speaks to us not because it's even imitating these ideas, although you're talking about how Harry Potter explicitly does, uh, but because it is, it's a, it's a story that our heart wants to hear. Yeah. In fact, how about Iron Man? Can we talk about Iron Man for I, a minute? I love it. You mean Marvel Batman? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah, that's Marvel Batman. That's right. We can talk about Batman too if you want. But Iron Man's one of my favorite characters, Gib, because... First of all, he starts out as an amoral arms dealer who's a billionaire and a playboy, right? Yep. He has everything we think we want to be happy. Mm -hmm. He's got money. He's got power. He's got a great girlfriend, but he's still miserable. He has no identity. He has no purpose. He has everything to live with and nothing to live for. In fact, Robert Downey Jr., who, as you know, played him, yep. said... Tony Stark is spiritually dead. That's his problem. But then something happens in his life where one of his own weapons detonates and it puts shrapnel in his chest and he has to have a device installed in his chest in order to guard his heart from the encroaching shrapnel. Yep. Now, this to me is a beautiful picture of what I think is a, a very important uh, section of the Bible to today's culture, and that is... Proverbs 4.23, which says this, 
above all else, guard your heart because everything you do flows from it. Mm -hmm. Notice it doesn't say follow your heart. It says guard your heart. Mm -hmm. Because if you follow your heart without moral restraint, you're going to wind up like Tony Stark. Mm -hmm. You're going to have everything to live with and nothing to live for. You're going to be lost and full of anxiety. But if you guard your heart, then you can focus on what's really important. And this device is a visual picture of guarding your heart. And what does Tony do? He guards his heart. He realizes what's really important in life. And ultimately, spoiler alert, he actually sacrifices himself at the end of Endgame to save the world. Now, he never would have done that if, if, if after the first movie, Iron Man. Right. But he went through this process of becoming a hero by guarding his heart mm-hmm. over several films. It's amazing. So you're you're taking the the literal element, right? And you're and you're you're extending the metaphor into in yeah yeah, and it, and it's a great point, right? Like it, it it in 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 facing and this is something true. I think is is a part of all of our journeys. But in facing his own mortality, he uh, he is given what is most important to himself. So the 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 shrapnel forces him to re reframe his worldview and I, I love exactly. your line he has everything to live with and nothing to live for so he begins because because his mortality becomes apparent he begins to search for uh that meaning that that desire to, for, to have something to live for um and and and, w- and w- what he finds gib is that what we think is going to make us happy mm-hmm. namely sex money and power sure we think that's going to give us ultimate fulfillment those things are good, but they're not ultimate. They're not going to make us ultimately fulfilled. In fact, you can look at just movie stars in general and, mm-hmm. and point that out, right? I mean, the people that who have really made it big, many of them are miserable. Sure. You know, they have everything the world thinks is important, and they still are without purpose, many of them. I know there are exceptions, but... Um, there and, there, and are, I think there are plenty what, of exceptions, but but uh, the, the, one of my favorite... Um, one of my favorite actors is Jim Carrey, and and he has a great line. I, w- I wish that everybody's wildest, um, su- I wish everybody could be uh, wildly successful, so they could realize how little that matters. Um, oh yeah, and I think it was Denzel Washington who said this: "Fame is a monster." Yeah, yeah, uh, and we were not designed for it. We're not designed for that kind yeah. of fame, but uh, but we are designed for these stories to get back to to this idea. Yeah. Um, you you know you you your first chapter is Captain America or Marvel Superman. Um, I like I like I like drawing the parallels between the two, the DC and the Marvel Universe. Um, uh, and Captain America and Superman uh, are convenient Jesus analogs. Um, they are. Why don't you flesh that out for us? Well, let's talk about Captain America. First of all, Captain America is morally upright from the very beginning. Right. Unlike Tony Stark, right. who needs a lot of moral development. You don't have to worry whether or not Captain America is going to do the right thing, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know he's going to do the right, right. thing. Uh, and in he fact, that is does. his that is his like determining factor, right? He's it's because he just in the movie version, he dives onto the grenade. And that is the exactly. reason why he has chosen to be Captain America. Exactly. And he's and at that point, he was very weak physically. But the the director of the project said, this guy's a good man uh, and I need him to be Captain America because he he'll jump on a grenade for you, whereas the other real uh, muscular guy right. that the general wanted to be Captain America hid behind a truck when a grenade was right. thrown, right. right? He didn't try and save anybody. So yeah, the moral point is right there. And of course, this is a parallel to Jesus in the right. sense that in order, to, in, in order to accomplish his mission, Jesus has to live a morally perfect life. Now, Captain America is not morally perfect, sure. but he is the standard of righteousness, right. as you point out, in the Marvel Universe. 
Well, hey, Frank, too, let, let, let's think about this. If you think about the, the Messiah prophecies, right, and mm-hmm. the kind of Messiah that was being looked for, uh, you know, in, in first century Palestine uh, was the warrior Messiah, right? So we, we're, they were uh, in, essentially the general at that point. They were looking for right. the person who was already physically strong. And the reality is that you needed the person who was morally righteous, and then the physical strength would come from another source, which is mm. a, another interesting parallel to uh, to even that just even that one moment in the in the Captain America film. Hey, you know that's a good point. We hadn't thought of that. You're getting a round of applause for that. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm just I'm just I'm adding that to the book in the second edition, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> that was like. Magic. Oh right gosh. There. Okay. All right. <laughs> We're turning into a totally different kind of show than we originally. That's right. Show. That's right. Um, this is amazing. Okay. So uh, let's take a quick break. When we come back, right. I want to talk about um, some more of the details about the the stories, uh, how they relate to us, and in some of the more complex ideas. Right. So we've we've dealt with with a very obvious visual metaphor with uh, the heart, and we've dealt with the. Uh, uh, obvious parallel with the the morally righteous, but we're going to get into some of the um, deeper looks in a second with Frank Turek. All right, we're back with Frank Turek uh, talking about his new book, Hollywood Heroes. Uh, now, Frank, you organize the book uh, by by hero, so you go through mm-hmm. the heroes and the stories, and you and you kind of outline them. Obviously, you know we start with uh, we start with Captain America, Iron Man, Harry Potter. We've talked about that. Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, Batman, Wonder Woman, and then the Ultimate Hero. Um, let's get into, uh, let's get into Star Wars. So, so, sure. uh, I, I, I'm pretty familiar with some of the parallels, but, but, uh, go ahead and lay out why, why, why Star Wars resonates with us. Well, Star Wars is, as George, Lu- George Lucas put it, a morality play, right? It's, it's a good, it's good against evil. I mean, that's what it's all about. And although Lucas, his worldview was more what we would call pantheistic in nature, that there's a good force uh, or, or there, there's a force out there, and whether you tap into the good side or the bad side, it, it doesn't command you to tap into the good or the bad because the force itself is impersonal. But when people get to the movie theater, when you and I go to the movies, Gib, we immediately know who the good guys are and who the bad guys are, even though that's not necessarily pointed out directly by George Lucas, the director of the movie or the, the writer of the movie. I because mean, we the, have- music, the music helps a lot. And the, and the costumes right. help a lot, right? Like, you don't right. see Darth Vader and you go, I'll bet you he's the nice one. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. But we have the moral law written on our hearts, right? We immediately know that the Jedi are the good and the Sith are the bad. And uh, there's so many parallels, of course, to Christianity in this, even though it's not a real Christian worldview when it comes to a pantheistic, impersonal God. But let's just take, for example, a uh, One of the conversions uh, in the movie, there are two great conversions in the movie series. One is Han Solo, and of course the other, everyone knows, is Darth Vader. Let's talk about Han Solo for a second. Han Solo is the skeptic in the Star Wars series, right? He's in it just for himself, and he says to Luke Skywalker about the Force, look, kid, you know, this is nothing but a bunch of tricks and and nonsense. It's mumbo-jumbo. There's nothing like having a good blaster at your side, right? But what then happens to him is he actually is frozen in carbonite by the guy he owes a lot of money to, Jabba Jabba the the Hutt. Jabba, that's right. But Jabba's a lot way bigger than a hut, as you know. (laughs) And in order to get out of this, what what, what has to happen? Well, Luke Skywalker has to come redeem him. And he rescues Han. He 
He gets him out of debt. He kills uh, Jabba the Hutt, who is the guy that, of course, Han Solo owes all this money to. And so he's freed. Now, whether Lucas intended this or not, but this is a redemption story. You're taken out of debt by a redeemer. He comes and rescues you. And then later what happens? After seeing the love that Luke had for Han, Han later sees with his own eyes that the force is really true and he becomes a believer. And he finally says in one of the films, kid, this is all true. I've seen it with my own eyes. I didn't, I was a skeptic, but now I'm a believer. Well, the same thing is true when it comes to Christianity. We believe that you ought to look at the evidence like Han looked at the evidence and then believe and know that Jesus is the savior. So that's one story of redemption. The other is, right. of course, Darth Vader. And we can talk about that if you want. Uh, I obviously want to talk, talk about Darth Vader. The, you know, I, I, Han and Darth are the two. Han and Vader are the two coolest characters, in my opinion, growing up in the in the series. Right? Han is oh, the totally. swashbuckler. Uh, you know, the rogue, and then obviously Darth Vader is. You know, he just represents that that dark power. So. Um, I'm assuming, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen Empire Strikes Back, uh, you're going to talk Where about... Where have you been for 43 years? Right, you're going to talk about the redemption <laughs> that ends uh, Empire Strikes Back, uh, which, you know, obviously is a big reveal. Uh, I mean, it's going to have to say it, sorry. Actually, it's Return of the Jedi, I think, is where. Uh, oh, you're... Yeah, Return of the Jedi is where, he the... Takes his, is where he takes his helmet off, but but uh, yeah. Empire Strikes Back is where he says he's the, he's his father. Oh, that's right, yeah. yeah. But that that just starts the process. You know, Luke, I am your father. That just starts the process. That's not, he's finally redeemed at the end of Return of the Jedi, I think, which was what now, 39 years ago? Yeah, that, that one was, yeah, so fair enough. So Return of the Jedi is where he takes his helmet off. You finally see what he mm -hmm. looks like. Uh, explain how this parallels with, uh, with, with your thesis. Well, first of all, let's, where did he come from? He, he was Anakin Skywalker, right? He's supposed to be, being trained as a Jedi. And what happens to him is he falls to the dark side. And the parallel, of course, to Christianity is that sin is deceitful, that breaking bad starts deceptively with small sins, but then leads to bigger sins. Mm. And James, the half-brother of Jesus, said this. He said, each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed, then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. And the word enticed here, Gib, as you know, means to catch by the use of bait, to be lured into something. And if I don't have time to go through all the details here, but Anakin is lured into the idea that he needs to have certain things in his life, and he'll compromise his own integrity to get them. And right. it gets to the point where uh, the emperor, the future emperor, who is a Sith, someone who Anakin is supposed to be fighting, actually tells Anakin, look, I'm a Sith, but I can give you what your heart desires. And so instead of fighting this guy, Anakin gives in to him. And you know what George Lucas says? He says, this is where Anakin actually succumbs to the influences of the devil. I mean, he it, gives in. Yeah, the the so look, the, the the idea of the idea of these uniform goods and these uniform evils is obviously that's the parallel. Like, there's there's no real gray area, right? Uh, right. And 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 the the stories that you're choosing are not the anti-hero stories. These are not the morally 
complicated stories. These are the mm-hmm. this is this is the world of superheroes and and fantasy, and the the good and the evil is clear, like you said. Um, it is, and and the reason uh, that we pick these films, though, Gib, is because they are among the top films of the past, say, forty years. In fact, the top twenty-five films, highest-grossing films of all time, twenty-three out of twenty-five are fantasy films, Gib. In other words. They have some element of the paranormal or supernatural in them. Sure. I only think there's two on the top 25 that do not. One is Titanic, and the other, I think, is like Furious 7 or something, you know? All the rest, <laughs> all the rest have this fantasy, supernatural, paranormal stuff in it. And in fact, 12 of the top 25 are the movies that we're discovering in the, or that we're uh, discussing in the book Hollywood Heroes. So Star Wars is one of them. Right. And, and, he gives in, Darth Vader does, and then he's completely on the dark side. And isn't it interesting, Lucas points this out, that people on the dark side, they normally have their immorality expressed in some sort of physical deformity. Like, for example, the emperor is is wrinkled all up, you know, mm-hmm. and he's he's got all these facial deformities. Sure. And Darth Vader is kind of a half man, half machine. Right. He's on a breathing machine all the time, you right. know? Whereas you look at the light side, everybody is is clean and pristine and pure. Mm. And this is one way that Lucas is trying to communicate that evil can lead you to physical manifestations that uh, they don't happen this usually this way in real life. Right. But in the long term, well, it it's can. a visual metaphor. Yeah it's, yeah, it's it's totally visual. And then, of course, the redemption. Sure. And what what Skywalker does is his son, Luke Skywalker, he just doesn't give up on his father. Right. He doesn't care how far his father has gone. He's going to do whatever he can to redeem him. And as you know, he ultimately does. Yes. Uh, I want to I want to uh, push back on a couple not push back, but but circle yeah. back and, and get a couple of things. So first and foremost, I mean, you know, the, I think the reason why I know this is your thesis, but I'm just going to underscore it. The reason why these movies are so broadly appealing is that they are the most simplistic of moral stories, right? There is no gray area, and we, the broadest audience, is going is going. It's going to appeal to them. There, you, subtlety is <laughs> subtlety does not always translate across cultures, and it doesn't always translate across like time the way that these that these sort of uh, yep. moralistically simple ideas do. Um, and then I want to also go back and and point out that that Anakin's desire is a righteous one. The thing that he's willing to compromise himself over is a righteous desire, but the, but he knows he's compromising, right? So the temptation yes. is a righteous temptation. It's security for, because he's, you know, he's, he sees the prophecy. He, it's security to protect his wife and twins. And Which is a good insight because when we do evil, it's always to get something good, Gib. Right. We don't do evil for evil's sake, right? right. I mean, we're right. doing evil to get something good. So yeah, you're absolutely right. Well, and I think that there's a there is a broader there's a broader conversation that can be had about where our moral compromise comes from, right? Where, where this this idea that you know the things that appeal to us are things that are that um, and even when we are morally compromised, there is a there is a kernel of um, of good in whatever it is that we're seeking. So, sure. so, yeah. uh, it's just that we then, we then begin to do things that we know are wrong in order to abuse that, that good and, and take it out of context. 
That's right. Taking it out of context. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, for example, like when we mentioned Tony Stark before, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and we as human beings think, okay, if I could get the right relationship, if I could mm-hmm. have enough money, and if I could have power and recognition, I'd be happy. All those things are good. Right. The problem is, as you said, when we take them out of context and we make those things the ultimate things right. and say, put them over right. God or put them over, say, our family or that, then, then it becomes a problem. Right. Uh, I mean, I think, look, the, you got to read the book. Uh, so, so everybody, <laughs> you need to check it out. Hollywood Heroes is the book. Of, and I'll put a link to where you can buy it in the show notes so you guys can, of course, check it out. But you, uh, there are more stories to unpack, and they are in, unpacked in more detail. Um, we got Batman, Wonder Woman. I mean, again, you, you go to the DC universe, and Batman is, a, is a, an Iron Man analog. How do you distinguish the two? Well, I think that in the Batman world, Batman has one of the most realistic, uh, realistic views of human nature, uh, uh, the, regard compared to all the other films. And here's why: notice, first of all, Batman's always fighting in the dark. Right. Uh, secondly, notice that Batman can never take a night off, no matter what he does. <laughs> right. He's trying to lock up bad guys. No matter how many bad guys he locks up, there's always somebody else that's going to do evil. Mm-hmm. In other words, he can't keep Gotham safe because of human nature. Mm-hmm. Human nature is such that it's easy to be bad, it's hard to be good. So you're never going to create utopia by locking up bad guys. That's not going to work. Right. And so he 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 never really ultimately wins. You nope. notice that, Gib? Oh, he, I, he yeah, never... it, it, for sure. Yes, and, the DC. And it, the, it, it's why I find the Batman story to be the most intriguing. It is the mo- most moralistically comp- moralist, morally complex. Excuse me. Yep. Of of the superhero paradigms, right? Because he is, he has his rules, but he's always breaking them. He is. He's never fully successful. His villains are generally speaking um, the most interesting, and their desires are oftentimes uh, are oftentimes like like a great example, right? Uh, uh, in in I think it's Batman Forever where the two the two villains are um, Mister F- Mr. Freeze and Poison Ivy uh-huh. and all they want to do is stop global warming and and rebuild the for- the rainforests so uh, the the I find the Batman stories to be the most morally interesting yeah yeah in fact that's what all people seeking good well, I shouldn't say all a lot of people seeking good will think that due to the good cause, doing evil to get that cause is is worth it, mm-hmm. is okay. Like for example, Thanos, what does he wanna do? He wants to wipe out half the population in order to save the other half. Right. So he's gonna justify it, right? right? Yeah. Uh, Mr. Freeze, you just said the same thing. Um, also, there's a villain in the Batman story, the Joker, who really represents nihilism, yep. really represents somebody that uh, it has no moral compass because if atheism is true, there is no ultimate right or wrong. Everything's just a matter of opinion. Sure. So I, I love it when uh, Heath Ledger, who played uh, the Joker in The Dark Knight, is he, he accosts Harvey Dent in the hospital. And here's what he says. He says, do I really look like a guy with a plan? <laughs> you know what I am? I'm a dog chasing cars. I wouldn't know what to do with one if I caught it. You know, I just do things. Mm-hmm. The mob has plans. The cops have plans. Gordon's got plans. You know, they're schemers. Schemers try to control their little worlds. I'm not a schemer. I try to show the schemers how pathetic their attempts to control, control things really are. I'm an agent of chaos. And then he blows up the hospital. Right. Right? Now, if there is no God, there's no moral difference, ultimately, between building hospitals and blowing them up. 
because there's no ultimate purpose to human life. There's no objective, real good reason why human beings ought to exist. Only if God exists, who is the standard of goodness, can you say, well, human beings are valuable. You ought not blow them up. But what J the Joker is representing is the opposite viewpoint. That, no, there's no real plan. There's no real purpose. I, it doesn't matter if I build a hospital or blow it up. That's why he says to Batman, why so serious? Right. I mean, why are you so serious? I, so I agree that he represents nihilism. Mm -hmm. And I know that this is a common apologetic uh, uh, trope where you talk about the mm -hmm. idea that that morality outside of that morality outside of of theism is is not easily defined. Uh, I do think so. I do think whether it's whether it's a theistic concept, so whether it, whether Christianity is real that that a, that a, that is a single God, a single Creator. Uh, is the essence of uh, is the and and is in and of itself good um that determines our uh, that determines our morality or whether there is some sort of innate morality in us or where that wherever that comes from I, I you know i do think we all have and this is both biblical and uh and secular that we all have an inherent moral compass now how we value that moral compass where it comes from that can be that can be debated, but I, I I and I agree that he represents nihilism. But I I do I don't think that everybody, regardless of of their belief, is a nihilist. No, I I don't agree with that. Yeah, I I I agree that you don't have to believe in God to know that murdering people is wrong. That's not my this argument. Is, yeah, okay. I think everybody intuitively understands murdering is wrong. Right. My point is there would be no way to justify murder is wrong in an objective sense unless there's an objective moral standard beyond humanity. Okay. If it's just, otherwise it would just be, say, our opinion against, say, Hitler's opinion, right? Sure. If there's if, if there's no standard beyond us, there would be no way to adjudicate between, say, the Allies and, and the Nazis. The only way you could say the Nazis were objectively wrong is if there's a standard of objectively right beyond both of the governments. So Fair. that's all I'm saying. Yeah. Fair. Yeah. It just where that so just how we are imbued with that standard uh I is uh is uh, I guess uh that's a question of what we would call in in philosophy epistemology. Right. How do you know the standard? Right. 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 I'm t I'm talking more about the ontology meaning why does this standard actually exist? Mm -hmm. If if there's no standard beyond human beings, then it's sure. just one person's opinion against another. And in Batman, the Joker represents the nihilistic viewpoint, and Batman is trying to bring justice, which presupposes there's a standard of justice, to his Gotham world. And the reason he can't do it, ultimately, is because of human nature. In fact, he knows human nature is, is so depraved, uh, Gib, that he not only has, has um, plans to take out other superheroes that go rogue, which is where Batman versus Superman comes in. Mm -hmm. He even has a plan to take him out if he goes rogue. Right. That's right. how he, because he knows he's corruptible just sure. like everybody else. Sure. Sure. I mean, and then and in the, uh, in the Christopher Nolan trilogy, uh, yep. with, with the, the second movie has the Joker. Uh, that's the Heath Ledger Joker that we were talking about before. There is that, there is that, um, there is that he's always putting other people into the moral question, right? That is, mm -hmm. he's sort of uh, exemplifying his his nihilism with that. So he does the thing with the prison boat 
and the other fairy, and they, you know, ha- they both have control over what the other person, what the other group can do, um, or wh- whether the other group survives or not. And it's that, it's that desire to watch other people sacrifice their morals that makes him or define their morals, right? Uh, not even sacrifice, mm-hmm. but he's forcing them to define. It. He's giving them life or death choices. So. Um, that goes back to him, his desire to explore the uh, human nature in a more complex way. I mean, I, I, that's I'm, right. I'm diving in really, really esoterically into into the moral questions of the Joker, but I think it, it's the point of your book, right? So yeah, no, I agree. That's in fact what the Joker says um, it, at the end of one of the movies. I'm looking for it right here, where he um, he actually says these people will give up their morals in a heartbeat if they're put into if they're put into a dilemma. Yeah. He says this. See, their morals, their code. It's a bad joke. Drop dropped at the first sign of trouble. They're only as good as the world allows them to be. I'll show you when the chips are down. These uh these civilized people, they'll eat each other. Mm-hmm. See, I'm not a monster. I'm just ahead of the curve. The only sensible way to live is to live in a world without rules. <laughs> That's what the Joker says, right? Yeah. Yeah. But of course, all that presupposes what? It presupposes there has to be a standard. Otherwise, they wouldn't be in a dilemma. Right. If there was no if there was no standard, you wouldn't say, well, there's, you would never be in a dilemma. You'd say, ah, oh, you want to kill people? It doesn't matter. Right. The yeah. reason that that you're presented dilemmas right. is because you know how valuable life is. Right. That's so, why. So the dilemma present yeah. the dilemma that it presents is what is what is the higher standard? That's yeah, the, that's that, right. that becomes yeah. the question. So we're, we're at this point. We are ranking standards. That's what that's. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. We're, when, yeah, when we're, mo, mo, I mean, most of the time when you and I are going through life, we don't have these moral dilemmas. But in extreme situations, you can be put into a dilemma. Like sure. if you're on a life raft and it only can hold three people and right. you got four on, right? right. You got to push somebody off, right? right? Oh, no, I can't do that. Well, then you're all going to die. What are you going to do? So that's mm-hmm. a dilemma. But it's only a dilemma because you know how valuable human life is. If human sure. life wasn't valuable, you'd say, it doesn't matter. Push everyone off. Who cares? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's, but yeah, the bat, bat, the Batman movies. You're right, Gib. Do this better than any other of these movies. Right. They're much more complex morally. When they try to find like the moral lines are always very clear in in the movies we've talked about up until this point. The moral lines yeah. in Batman are always uh, <laughs> the moral lines in Batman are always they're just they are the more subtle, the more complex. So yes, I, that's I, right. I, yeah. Uh, all right, the book again, Hollywood Heroes. Link to where to buy it in the show notes. Frank, uh, I've taken up a lot of your time, and I really appreciate you today. Uh, I do have two final questions. First and foremost, if people want to follow up, aside from buying the book, which again, you can get in the show notes, how can people follow up with you? Well, our website is crossexamined.org. That's crossexamined with a D on the end of it, .org. And if you go to our YouTube channel, two words, crossexamined, you'll see well over a thousand videos. Most of these are from the college campus because most of the time I go to college campuses and I present evidence from a book I co-wrote many years ago called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. Mm-hmm. And so we have a lot of questions from students on these college campuses, and we put all those Q&As in short video form on our YouTube channel. So if people are interested in this kind of thing, you know, is there a God? Did Jesus rise from the dead? What's really true about God and reality? Check that out. Uh, go to uh, our YouTube channel or go to crossexamined.org. And if they want more on the book, Hollywood Heroes, how your favorite movies reveal God, if they go to hollywoodheroesbook.com, hollywoodheroesbook.com, there's even a little video trailer for the book on there. They can see a lot more about the book there. Link to the two websites and the YouTube channel will be in the show notes as well. Uh, Frank, last but not least, I ask this to everybody, what is one thing 
we can all start doing today that will make our lives a whole lot better? Guarding our hearts rather than following our hearts without moral restraint. Interesting. That's what I think. That Proverbs 4.23 is so important because if I, look, Gib, if I followed, well, I'm 60 years old now. If I followed my heart every time some desire came across my heart, mm-hmm. first of all, I'd be dead already. And if I was still alive, I wouldn't have the family I have. I can guarantee you that. Yeah. Right. I wouldn't have the position I'm in. I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. Uh, I'd be in a very bad way. You can't just guard your heart without more or follow your heart without moral restraint. You have to guard your heart and make good decisions because 90% of what happens to you in life is based on the decisions you make. 10% you have no control over. 90% is based on what decisions you make and you need to guard your heart to do what's right. There you go. Frank Turek, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. Hey, thanks, Gib. God bless. That's it for our show today. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you like the show, please rate, comment, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, tune in wherever you get your podcast. It helps us out a lot. Uh, folks, if you want to follow up, you can check us out at facebook.com slash John Tesh. We're live there all the time. Come say hi to us. Uh, John is also on Instagram at John Tesh underscore IFYL. I am Gib Gerard. You can find me at facebook.com. Uh, slash Gib Gerard or at Gib Gerard on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, reach out. Let me know what you think of the show. I try to respond to every DM, every mention of the show because ultimately I do the show for you guys. So thank you so much for listening.